You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Well, hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me, I have Dave Farley. He is an independent software developer, consultant, founder and director of Continuous Delivery. Hi, Dave. How are you? Hi. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Same here, same here. Managing with all the pandemic and everything, but it's going quite well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I, I'm uh, my, my my career was spent largely as a software developer, um, um, but also kind of as a a technical leader, leading software development teams and organisations. Um, I'm probably best known for being one of the authors of the book Continuous Delivery. Um, and also the, a thing called the Reactive Manifesto. Um, I was involved in, I was the, I was the head of engineering for a, a team that built the world's highest performance financial exchange and applying kind of engineering discipline in that sort of context. So, so a little bit of experience of sort of technical leadership. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you say I, a little I, bit. I also, I also once had a funny job title. I was once... My job title was Director of Innovation at ThoughtWorks. <laughs> oh, Director of Innovation. And what did you do as a Director of Innovation? Uh, I told other people to be smart. <laughs> <laughs> I told other people to be smart. <laughs> well, that's a nice job to have. Actually, this, this reminds me like of a, a story, an old story, like business, like a, a U.S. businessman went to, to Japan and... Uh, while on tour over the factory, showed them everything and all the people working. And then they went like to a, in a in, at the end of a hallway, there was like a, a, a small office and they entered inside and say like, here inside we have the highest paid employee in the whole company. He makes even more than me as the CEO. And the American businessman like, what, what, what does he do? Why, what's happening there? And and the guy says, this guy, his job is to come up with ideas. That's all he does. His yeah. last idea doubled our business. <laughs> so <laughs> we we spare no investment in this guy <laughs> just to have him come up with one good idea a year. It's enough for us. Sadly, there are a few organizations that, that, that work out their payroll that way. <laughs> yeah. It Maybe is really, should. really sad. Yeah. Um, but enough with my stories. Here, the point is to get your stories. Um, what with what story would you like to start? Do you want to start like with the leadership success story or uh, oh, leadership yeah, yeah. failure? Uh, so I'm, I'm perfectly happy to go through the, the, the questions in the order that you kind of pr- uh, presented them to me initially. Okay. So, uh, what would be the biggest leadership success story that you've witnessed yourself personally? I struggled over this one because I've seen a few success stories done in different contexts. Okay. The, the one that's had the most profound impact on my thinking in my career, though, was my story. Uh, uh, I was involved in the leadership of this, so it's a little bit self-serving. But um, I, I was I was working at ThoughtWorks in in a great had a great job, and then I was kind of pulled away by a friend to work in this startup to build one of the world's highest okay. financial exchanges at a company called Elmax. And we did some seriously innovative things. Um, 
LMAX is still going. So this is uh, 13, 14 years later, LMAX is still going, still employing nice. people, still making. Uh, so it was a successful startup uh, on those terms, very successful. And we did some innovative things in terms of the technology. But the thing that I'm proudest of, I think, was the, was the culture. We established okay. um, a fantastic development culture. We, uh, we, um, we, 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 we solve hard problems, uh, but, and we, we helped people um, uh, develop their careers. One of my ambitions as a leader in that organization <clears throat> that I always told people was that I wanted LMAX to be one of those career-defining employments. I wanted it to okay. be a place that they would think back on through their career and thought that kind of stepped the scene for my career. And I think for many of us it did. I think for many of us it, 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 it was that kind of place. Um, the things that it took were, were, were all sorts of interesting things. So, that, so there was some okay. technical excellence. So we, we were practicing continuous delivery with, with some degree of rigor. We were very, very good at continuous delivery automated testing, deployment automation, all of those sorts of things. But also the softer side, the cultural side. We've got a fantastic team, and many of the people that I worked with there are still friends that I communicate with regularly, sort of years later, uh, as a result of that. Um, and, and so it was kind of leadership with a soft touch. The, 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 the aim, really, uh, was, to, was to help people flourish. It was to help get the best out of those people and that's informed my leadership style ever since in in, in that is to my job as a leader i'm getting off into the territory of a question <laughs> there, but my job as a leader isn't to have all the answers but it's to help uh, encourage and coach the best performance out of other people yeah that's so that's, that's mostly that's the job of a leader i'm sorry i interrupted you oh uh, no problem so that's from my point of view, that's the main job of a leader is to yes. help other people grow and yes. uh, get stuff done with their help and through them. Um, and you said like you put a lot of um, work in shaping the, the culture. Yeah. Uh, can you say like what, what was the most successful thing you did to create a really awesome culture inside the company? Again, this gets onto some of the other stuff that I'm going to talk about, but I, I think I think that the most important thing that we that we managed to establish as a leadership team, as a group of people that is uh, setting up this this organisation, was um, a culture of experimentation. You know, okay. we assumed you know our job was to kind of you know, allow to hire smart people and allow smart people to do smart things. And we encouraged very strongly um, the philosophy that none of us knew the right answers and probably any answers that we came up with would be wrong. And so our job was to carry out, figure out through experimentation which were the good answers and which were the bad answers. And so we built up an ability as an organization to move extremely quickly and try out new ideas and refine them all the time. And that kind of pervaded the business. That, that, that was not just at the technical level, but at the organization and the cultural, you know, the, the business level too. Um, 
we we could pivot quite quickly. I, I remember one one story. <laughs> we, we were coming up to three weeks away from our our initial launch of our first product, which was kind of a a, 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 a trading system for a simple kind of financial instruments. Okay. And the business came and said, "We've had a great idea. Yeah, it would be much more. You know, instead of this boring trading application that we've been building for us." <laughs> It'd be really cool if we kind of did a sort of more gamey sort of thing. We had a, we, you know, we could click on a graph, and then we got, we we we'd been building all of this stuff, we had automated testing, yes, all around all this stuff. We go, ah, okay. But fortunately, the way that we built it allowed us to make that change. So from a technical point of view, we get good enough modularity, separation of concerns, all those good things that we could kind of change it without breaking the world. Uh, from the testing point of view, we got the right kind of testing that was decoupled from the application, so the tests would remain valid even though the user interface changed. And from a business point of view, we could think about those things, you know, fast enough and quickly enough to to kind of pivot and switch. And within three weeks, we hit our, we hit our delivery schedules and, and went live with the kind of trading game kind of thing instead of the, the trading. Thing. So that that was quite you know. Yeah. That was that was a revelatory experience that, that, that if you get this kind of stuff right, the speed with which you can move, and that, you know, if you, you take advantage of good engineering, you know, but but this this idea, this kind of skeptical, I think of it as kind of the scientific skeptical mind applied to business and, and technology. Yeah. Well, from my experience, also, if you get like good people and. All you have to do is point them in the right direction yes. and just let them do the work. If you try to define how they should do it and all this stuff, you, it just slows them down. And yes. you get an inferior product at the end. You cannot pivot or enhance it or on, on the spur of the moment. And then yes. you have all this um, battleground that you have between management and technical people. <laughs> and it's usually I find it is because that um, managers want to micromanage too much technical people. And the technical people, they, they say, look, just confirm for me that I, I got the gist, the right direction for it, what you want to do, and let me do it. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I think I think that's absolutely right. There's a great quote uh, which I um, I can't find right now to, to to read it out properly, but but from Harvard Business Review a little while ago, it said um, it was talking about agile development and continuous delivery in DevOps and yeah. those sorts of techniques. But it said you know, the biggest impediment to these things is not whether they're the right things. It's not whether they work. It's not whether they scale up. We know the answer to all of those. And it's yes, they are yes. They're the right way of working. The biggest impediment is leadership. It's it's management in organisations being too conservative about about the way that they operate. Yeah. So, so and taking right. and taking new ideas and trying to make them old. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with that in mind, what would be like a leadership fail that uh, you've witnessed? That you yeah, know about. So earlier in my career, it's, it's, it's a little while ago now, but I was working okay. for a, com a company in America, uh, which I won't name. Uh, I was working for a company, and we were doing an integration project across a suite of products to, to join these together. This was a, a company that was doing very well in their sector, but, um, 
but didn't have a, a good kind of, they, they were selling into a, their market segment and, and doing very well. They had a significant market share, but their systems weren't glued together. They kind of grown through acquisition okay. and they got a number of disparate products and they were trying to bring them together into some more kind of enterprise scale system that could, that could do more together. And um, I was involved in that project and we were, we were making progress step by step We'd just done an acquisition for a company that did some, some kind of integration sort of style software products that would glue things together. And, okay. and the, the senior leadership in the organization decided that we weren't going quickly enough. Okay. And so <laughs> they did a deal with one of the big consultancies and they said, okay, on Monday there are going to be 200 people turning up to help you with this project. No. Yes. So, <laughs> so, so this, they told us this, I think it was on the Thursday. <laughs> so, so we had two days to, well, four days over the weekend as well to prepare for 200 people turning up. And then we, we got to try and organize to do those things. 18 months later, um, we had you know, 200 people doing, working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. Oh um, my God! The software didn't even all compile. Um, oh. it wouldn't even, you know, it didn't work together. There was no <laughs> idea of trying these things out and making. So that was a that was a huge failure to my mind of leadership of being impatient and doing completely the wrong thing. One of the realizations, one of the one of the insights that I believe that I've gained since then is, I think it's a mistake. I think that failure was based on a mistake of misunderstanding what software development really is and yeah. I, i'm writing a book at the moment so so I, i'm writing a book about kind of about software engineering but in the, in the context of continuous delivery and, and other things to understand how this stuff really works and i've come to the conclusion that that our industry has made a profound mistake uh, in our history of thinking in terms of uh, production problems. So if you make yes. something, if you, if you make a pen or a car or something physical, then the design is, is certainly a tricky part of the problem, but the really hard part of the problem is scaling up the production of that so you can manufacture it at scale to a price. Um, that's not a problem that we ever have in software because as soon as you've created the software once, you can perfectly clone it instantly essentially for free so we don't have a production problem ever our problem is always a problem of design it's a it's a problem yes. of exploration and learning and so we should be optimizing to be really fantastic at exploration discovery learning and that, that takes techniques like feedback and experimentation and working incrementally and all of those sorts of things um, not trying to productionize things by throwing 200 people at projects yes. to, you know, to speed it up. You know? uh, and I, 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 these days I make my living working as a consultant and one of the commonest failures that I see in larger organizations is them driving to maximize the capacity of their teams to deliver features instead of driving the teams to be best at learning. If you focus on learning rather than on 
feature delivery, you get much, much better up, uh, outcomes, including better feature delivery. Uh, but, yes. but, but primarily our discipline is, is one of learning and we don't think about that enough, I think. Well, that reminds me like of the saying, if you want something to get done quickly, give it to a busy person. Yes. <laughs> and somehow it applies, like especially like um, in creative industries, so not just software developer. It doesn't work like the old mentality, like throw more bodies at the problem. Yeah. It, usually it works better if you take some people out of, out of the project because yeah. the remaining people, they, they realize like, we're fewer, we have to get this done. We have to be smarter about it. They're going to read something. They're going to search on the internet. They're going to talk more with their colleagues. Uh, they're going to kind of collaborate more to get to find a solution that is elegant in itself. Mm -hmm. uh, and management usually doesn't understand like this is not a farm. I yeah. understand if you're on a farm and you need to pick the cherries or you need to pick the, the wheat, 200 extra people, yeah, it's a great idea. You get to do the work faster. They can work in parallel. You have all the optimizations of having more people in that, in, in that when you have that problem. But in, um, when you're working with technology, especially creating it, just it fails. And I see this happening over and over at companies. The idea is like we need an extra person. We have like... 10 developers now, if you put 20, they're going to be twice as fast. <laughs> Initially, they're going to be twice as slow. I, I came across, I, I use it in my consultancy, I came across a, a beautiful little uh, bit of research that, that, on team sizes. And there okay. was an analysis of, I think it was nearly 6,000 projects uh, looking just nice. at team size. And they divided the cohorts up into teams of five people and teams of 20 people. And then they just counted lines of code because that's a, it's a dumb metric, yes. it's quantitative. So they counted how long would it take a team to get to, to 100,000 lines of code. And okay. on average, across all of the teams, it took nine months to get okay. to 100,000 lines of code. For a team of five people, on average, they were slower than a team of 20 people. But they were slower over a period of nine months by a week. Just one so a team of a team of, a team <laughs> of five people is nearly four times as productive as a team of twenty people. And then they looked at the defect rates, and the defect rates of the, the teams of twenty people were significantly, dramatically higher than the teams of five people. So small teams go faster. They definitely do. And we've known that since the nineteen seventies. Fred Brooks in the Mythical Man Month said, you know, yes. you, can't, you can't make a baby in a month with nine women. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it only was possible. <laughs> okay. So, Dave, what would be your leadership philosophy after all your experience and everything, everything you saw? So we've, we've, we've touched on it a little bit already. I, I, think, I think the first thing, I, I, I once, had, um, I once had, had a career review okay. and I was working for a consultancy at the time. And my, my career review was, and Dave's shown that he can, he can be effective with, 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 with teams of great people, but how could he cope with teams of worse people? And I said, 
I'm not really interested in finding out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so I, I think my my favourite way of thinking about this is that I'm I'm a, I'm a sports fan. Uh, and, okay. And my football team, who, who like all of the other football teams in the world at the moment, aren't doing anything. Is Manchester United. Oh. And and if you you know if you want if you think about leadership in the context of a manager of Manchester United, like Alex Ferguson, you know the, the greatest football manager ever, in my opinion. Um, okay. He had a remarkable success, but he was picking the best people that he could find yeah. uh, and, and he would do whatever it took to get those people into the team and then he would focus on them and coach them to get the best out of them. Alex Ferguson was a decent football player in, in, way back in his career, but that's not what he's famous for or even what he was best at. He wasn't the best football player ever, but he yes. coached some of the best football players ever. And and was able to make them even better. You know, Ronaldo, one of the greatest, greatest football players at the moment, says that a lot of his success was off the back of the learning that he got from Alex Ferguson. So part of being a leader, I think, is to help other people to maximise their talents and skills and focus them. So your job is to kind of help others to shine, to, to grow their ability. And um, the other thing that I, 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 I'm a profound believer in is one of my hobbies is reading about science and, and in particular. Okay. And, and I, I, you know, without any fear of, of contradiction, science is humanity's best problem solving technique. So if you have hard problems in any sphere, applying scientific style thinking is going to get you to a better outcome than not. And so applying that kind of thinking to, to, uh, business, uh, leadership, uh, uh, technology is part of my style. So I'm very strong believer in in being experimental and going into ideas. So 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 I think I'm quite creative. I think I'm quite good at, you know, at being innovative. I'm quite a good software developer. I'm a decent leader. But my starting point is that I assume that all of my ideas are wrong. Oh. I don't assume that I'm right all of the time, and I, and I will I will argue my case. I will I will make my point if you know if if we did if you and I were disagreeing about some some direction to take. I would argue my case as forcefully as I could, but if you came up with better arguments, I'd switch my position and I'd agree with you, and then I'd back you and and kind of you know give you the benefit. My job as a leader isn't to be right all of the time. It's not yes. to. It's not to have all of the answers. My job is to hire really smart people and let them be really smart and to allow them to have the answers and to help them do that. Primarily, that's, that's what I think is, is the, the goal. Um, what I see, I see a lot of people, I, I kind of differentiate between leadership and management. <laughs> yes. Because I think they're different things. I th I, I'm probably not very good at management, to be honest, but, but okay. I think I'm quite good at leadership. And, um, and part of the difference is, is, that, is that focus on, on trying to, you know, uh, establish a, a, a way forward for an organisation. And, 
and not have all of the answers and, 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 and go along on the journey of discovery along with everybody else, but help us focus on what, where it is that we're going and why we're doing those things. Yeah. Well, when you were saying like there's a difference between a, a manager and a leader, I think like the biggest difference is to be a manager, you need to have the title. To be a leader, you don't need the title. You just are. Yes. And there are lots of people that are leaders without titles and they do awesome jobs for companies. And sometimes the companies that even doesn't even know the asset they have in that, in that person. That's Which definitely is, true. Yes. That, that goes back to one of the other things that we were talking about earlier. I, I, if I think, I, I have a friend who kind of talks about this quite profoundly. But if you look back, if you look back on our careers and think about the successful software development teams that we've seen, there's nearly always been at least one person that really was shone as as a leader in the t sense that you're talking about that would kind of know drive it forward and have the commitment and the sense of direction and all of those things and they weren't right all of the time but you know the, the power of their personality and their, their leadership would infect the rest of the team and help, help them to to do more than they thought that they could yeah you just want to get the project done you love it and yeah you put all your energy in it and it's infectious and the other people i said even other colleagues that aren't aren't on the project are going to say like how can we help you? How, what what yes. are you doing there? It looks like really, really cool. And it yes. creates like a wave of energy inside the whole company, which is really, really nice. Yes. yes. Um, okay. Now let's, let's move like to the rapid fire rounds. What would be like the top three leadership tips you have for aspiring leaders? Uh, I, I struggled to bring it down to three. <laughs> <laughs> you can so, give us more, so there's <laughs> no problem. So, so I, I, I think I think the first one. I, I think the job of leadership is to is to establish and maintain some kind of vision. Um, when, when I'm talking, when, when I'm coaching people in terms of technical leadership and stuff for, for, for software development projects. Um, one of the one of the scenarios I talk about, I use I use the Apollo program as an example. Okay. Sometimes, and and if you think if you think about if you think about um, Kennedy, you know, John F. Kennedy, nineteen sixty three, standing up in Congress saying we're going to send a man to the moon by the end of the decade, and yes. that was leadership. That, now, bold Kennedy, leadership. Kennedy, bold leadership, visionary leadership. Kennedy had no clue what it would take <laughs> to achieve that. Kennedy wasn't an engineer. He didn't know all of the steps to get there. He didn't know what it would take, but he had the yes. vision. And, he, and, and many of the people that were working, you know, that didn't know all the technicalities hadn't got that vision. So understanding, so planting a flag on a hill somewhere and saying, let's go over, let's do this amazing thing. I think that's part of leadership. Let's, let's, let's aspire to, to do something bigger than ourselves. Let's aspire to do, do something. I think that's part of leadership and, and kind of generating the interest, the excitement, the enthusiasm in the organization to move forward in that direction. I think that's part of it if you want to do great things. For sure. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of related to, you know, what's the, the uh, there's Dan Pink stuff about autonomy, mastery and purpose. <laughs> So, you know, that, you know, the job of leadership is really to focus on the purpose of an organization or a team and to, to try and establish that kind of thing. Um, so thinking in those sorts of terms is useful. The other one is, that, is what I've talked about is think about the, the kind of um, 
I've heard people refer to it as servant leadership. Your job is to is to you know enable other people. Serve. Yes. I, 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 heard, I had a great conversation with somebody in a bar at a conference a, a couple of years ago, and oh. she said it's not servant leadership. She thinks of it more as being the host at a party. Your oh. your job is to is to lay out the nibbles and the drinks and to to make Good sure you're meeting and have a conversation and occasionally to throw out the drunks. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's also important. <laughs> yeah. I think it's quite a nice idea. But but this idea of actually your job is to help other people achieve their ambitions and goals, but in line with the vision for the organisation. I, I I think I think that's you know amplify the effectiveness of teams and individuals to deliver on organizational goals is probably one of the key focuses that i think is important to think about it's not about you being the expert it's not about you having all of the answers it's not about you taking all of the credit for these things it's about your job as a member of a team is to help maximize the the effectiveness of the team yes uh, and, and that's the, the, the last one of my three is um, is really kind of closely related to my obsession with continuous delivery and that as a driving approach of software engineering. Um, and that is what one of my friends coined the, t the term economies of speed. Um, okay. So if you think about the way that most organizations structure themselves, then they're trying to focus on different things. And a good way of thinking about this is to think about where does your the technical function in your organization report to in the senior management? This is an idea of um, Gregor Hope, an ex-ThoughtWorks colleague of mine, uh, and it's, it's a beautiful idea. So if, if you're in a traditional organization, the, the, the kind of development function, the, the, the IT function in an organization will probably report to the CFO Yes. And the way that CFOs will kind of, you know, organise to 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 do things is that they'll 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 aim, you know, they'll see it as a um, a cost, a cost. And so so their aim is cost cutting. So the right kind of things to do is to outsource as much of the IT as possible and, and get it off the books so that they can work forward, you know, work forwards. A slightly more advanced way of thinking about this is that maybe, maybe the IT function is reporting into the operations manager, the COO or somebody like that. And in there, those sorts of organizations, the way that you're going to try and lever that to make that work is you're going to use economies of scale. You're trying to go big and have lots of teams, look at lots of stuff and all that kind of thing. I think that where you really want to be is that, you, you know, technology is so important that it's... It's a partner. It's driving the business. If you look at Google or Amazon or Netflix, the technology isn't separate to the direction of the business. It yes. is the direction of the business. And I think that's what we would think of these days as kind of digital disruption, those sorts of things. And for those, what you really want are you want economies of speed. You want to be able to move very yeah. quickly learn really fast and try out lots of ideas and to do that you need very you know efficient effective cohesive organization cohesive is perhaps the wrong word but organizations where you can make decisions quickly and learn from them and move forward yeah. and to learn you have to be willing to fail fast and make sure you fail small enough so you survive this failure yeah, yeah, until you absolutely. hit it on the head 
so 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 taking speed seriously and all of the things that kind of flow with that sort of great collaboration cross-functional teams continuous delivery deployment pipelines test-driven development test automation you know infrastructure as code all of these things start to be start to make more sense when you think that what we're trying to do is that we're trying to learn really quickly move really fast so that we can adapt uh, and, and and you get into this kind of model for economies of speed. And I, I think that's for me. That's what's what drives modern high performance teams. That the teams that I see that seem to be doing really well all have some flavour of that at their heart. Yeah, and it's important, like from top down, to be clear. Like if you fail, it's okay, yes. because I've seen it like. I've seen teams going on, trying stuff out, failing, and then getting their heads chopped off by upper management because how could you do this? How was it possible? It's like, look, we tried it. We thought it's going to be a success. It didn't work out. It put us back like a couple of days or a couple of weeks, but we're going, with the knowledge you got, we're actually going to make it better and it's going to be faster <laughs> than, than before. Absolutely. Oh. I, 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 it's one of the comments that I often get from clients when I start talk about, uh, talking about being experimental. And they say, we can't afford to experiment. Our stuff has to work. And <laughs> I, you know, if you're not experimenting, you're not learning. I, Amazon track the rate of failure of the experiments. They're carrying out thousands of experiments at any given time. They track the rate of failure of their experiments and if 50% of their experiments aren't failing, they up the level of risk that they're taking. Bezos, Jeff Bezos says that the scale of, of uh, risk that you take needs to go up with the scale of your organization. Yes. And to be honest, like if you're trying to beat Amazon and you want to be safe with it, you're going to build something like Amazon, but it's kind of hard to, <laughs> to beat it by emulating it. You need yeah. to come with something different. And then you need like lots of failure, lots of innovation, lots of new ideas. Uh, it's not going to be safe. And probably most of the businesses will not see the day of light and enjoy like the revenue from hitting on the right idea. <laughs> sure, but, but they're certainly not going to win. They're certainly not going to take off. At, um, they're certainly not going to take on Amazon in any way if they're not willing to try stuff out and take some risks. Yeah. Well, you can die fast and shoot for glory or you can die slow and yeah. shoot for failure, for guaranteed failure. Yeah. Uh, and since we're talking about Amazon and they started by selling books, what's <laughs> the number one book that had the, had the most profound um, impact on you? So I'll give you the trite answer first, which is okay. continuous delivery. So, so I was involved in writing a book that's had a profound influence on my career. It always because, has. If you if you write a book, it yeah, profound. Because it's a, it, yeah, it's it's changed my career uh, being involved with that book, uh, and it's been you know, much more ex, uh, successful than I expected. Um, Really, I, I, there's been lots of books. That I, I'm an avid reader, and some of them are not to do with, with, with software development. A, a book that has kind of really radically changed the way in which I think about things um, is a very geeky book about um, science 
called The Beginnings of, Beginnings of Infinity by David Deutsch, um, which oh. is talking about the philosophy of science and, and kind of modern popperism. It's a fantastic book. Um, I have to check it out now. Sorry? I have to check it out now. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a mind-expanding book. Uh, uh, David Deutsch is a, a theoretical physicist at Oxford, uh, it, specializing in uh, quantum mechanics, but he is... He's a he's a he's a genius, and 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 it kind of shines through through his book. It's there are times when you have to read it quite slowly because the ideas are so deep. <laughs> Great, uh, but uh, but but I I, I think in, in in software terms, one of the one of the more influential books, most influential books that I read is probably Extreme Programming by Kent Beck. Um, yeah, a classic. That was that was a seminal work, you know, in the late nineties when that came out, and I, I was a relatively earlier. I'd kind of been practicing versions of extreme programming without knowing that before it, before the book came out, and so I was a fairly early adopter of extreme programming, um, working on projects using that uh, in the early late nineties and early two thousands. Um, and before that, uh, going back a very long time, there are probably few of your audience that will remember this book was Windows Programming by Charles Petzold, which, uh, oh which first introduced me to, uh, to, to writing software on Windows in C. Yeah. Uh, um, and Dave, where can people go for, to find out more about you? So there's a, there's a, there's a few places. So uh, um, you can go to my, my blog site, which is DaveFarley.net. I'll supply you with some links so that okay. I've recently started a YouTube channel, and I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to release uh, videos weekly that describe some of my thinking on technology and leadership in the context of continuous delivery and software engineering broadly. Um, so you can go there. There's so the, the it's the continuous delivery channel uh, on YouTube. Again, okay. I'll provide some links. And my business website is continuous-delivery.co.uk. So if you're interested in talking to me about doing some work, there's some, there's some links there too. And finally, Twitter. I'm at DaveFarley77 on Twitter. Okay. I will provide all the links and, all, and people okay. can check out and find out more about you. I want to thank you very much, Dave, for being on the show. It has been a true pleasure. And I, for one, learned a lot about leadership and new viewpoints on it right. and the importance of it and uh, technical set. And it's been a pleasure. A pleasure for me too. Thank you very much for asking. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.